Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We hope this resource is a blessing to you. Let's jump in. Well, good morning. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Darren Nettleton. I'm the Director of Youth and Young Adult Ministries, and it is good to be gathered with you for worship this morning. For those of you who have been with us throughout the fall, uh, you will know that we have been centering all of our sermons around this idea of the kingdom of God, a phrase that we find in our mission statement. And we are continuing throughout the Advent season and beyond to investigate this hope, this promise, this place called the kingdom of God. During Advent, We're going to be reading through Luke's description of the events surrounding the birth of this child, Jesus, in the first two uh, chapters of that gospel. And this is quite intentional, as Luke has a particular eye towards questions of kingship throughout his gospel, and especially in the birth narratives. Who actually is the king? On what basis are they the king? What kind of kingdom do they rule over and what is the nature of their power? These are the kinds of questions that Luke raises in and around how he tells the story of the Messiah. So you will hear in just a moment when I read our passage for this morning that Luke opens with this phrase, in the days of King Herod of Judea. Now the the payoff, as it were, of that statement shows up in the reading for next Sunday. So Luke brings it up in verse uh, five and then sort of explains more or explores more this idea in verse 26. So let me just briefly unpack that phrase for us this morning, knowing that we will hear more about it in the coming weeks. This phrase, in the days of, shows up something like 56 times throughout the Old Testament. And it introduces more than just the king, an an era or a time frame, a, a judgment on Israel. If it was the days of a king that was known to be evil, such as in 2 Kings 15, when it was the days of King Pekah of Israel, then we don't expect good things to come, as King Pekah had sinned as his father before him had sinned. And so in the story, what comes next is King uh, Tiglath-Pilasar of Assyria comes and captures most of Israel. So what is the mood raised by this phrase in the days of King Herod? He was given his title by Mark Antony and by the Romans and so was expected to be loyal first and foremost to Rome. His family were converts to Judaism. And although he did restore the temple, his reign was marked by tyranny and force rather than faithfulness to the God of Israel. Though he certainly believed otherwise, his kingdom was of earth. His power came from men. His authority was limited. And these are the days in which our story takes place. Listen now for the word of the Lord as we read from Luke chapter 1, verse 5 through 25. 
In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. Once, when he was serving as priest before God, his section was on duty. He was chosen uh, by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and to offer incense. Now, at, at the time of the incense offering, the whole people, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and their disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know that this is so? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak, until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she remained in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me. When he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. It was the days of King Herod of Judea. Our story takes place at the center of power in the Jewish world, the city of Jerusalem and the temple. We are introduced to a couple, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, and we are told in no uncertain terms that they are good people, righteous, holy, from a good family. And yet... Despite this, 
They have no children. Luke wants us to be reminded of other stories in the Bible, like Sarah, wife of Abraham, eventual mother to Isaac, or Hannah, wife to Elkanah, eventual mother of Samuel. These women, in their old age, were without children, yet God had a plan for them from the very beginning for their children to do great things. And so we wonder, as we read this story, is the same in store for Zechariah and Elizabeth? Luke then brings us to work one day with Zechariah. He's a priest, and he's probably one of about 18,000 priests who rotate through serving in the temple. Two weeks a year, Zechariah and his group travels from his home up to Jerusalem to serve, to lead prayers, and to assist in sacrifices. Now, each day in the temple, there are uh, two special sacrifices, burnt offerings, which include uh, maintaining the incense in the holy place, which is deep inside the temple. And only one priest enters the temple at each of these two times a day, to maintain the incense. And because there are so many priests and because this sacrifice only happens twice a day, most priests will only do this one time in their entire priestly career. And so the day that Luke brings us to work with Zechariah is the one time, his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zechariah to do this particular job as a priest, to enter it behind the curtain into the holy place to offer the incense as a sacrifice to the Lord Most High. And so in the midst of this great priestly responsibility, which only should have taken him a minute or two, Zechariah is stunned to be in the presence of a messenger of God. There, to the right of the altar of incense, with the golden lampstand just a little bit further over, stands Gabriel. And Zechariah is rightly terrified. Gabriel brings the message that the prayers of Zechariah have been answered. His wife will conceive and bear a son named John. And the son named John will be like Elijah, which is to say he will be a prophet who brings a message to the people of God, to the Israelites. And this message will be very much like the prophets of old. Turn and return Repent and be prepared for the coming of the Lord God Almighty. Be reconciled, Israel, one to another and to the Lord. Be righteous, observe God's commandments, and be holy as the Lord your God is holy. Now, Zechariah, I don't think, had been asking for a child for many years at this point. He and his wife are both advanced in age and and he does not seem to be expecting God to show up and to grant him a child. And so he's got his doubts. And as Abraham and Gideon and Hezekiah and others had done before him, Zechariah asked for a sign, for a guarantee that this promise would come to pass. Never mind that Zechariah is currently standing in the holy place of the temple. 
<laughs> Never mind that Zechariah is speaking to Gabriel. Zechariah still needs a sign. And Gabriel, it seems, is more than happy to provide one. Zechariah's sign is that he will be unable to speak until these things have come to pass. What was undoubtedly the longing of his heart to have a child is confirmed in his very inability to share that good news with anyone. God's judgment, so it seems, as much as his mercy or grace, may come as the guarantee, the down payment of God's promise. And so then be careful when you ask for a sign, lest the sign that you receive be less than the sign that you desire. And by this point, the crowds gathered outside had grown concerned at his absence, wondering if something had gone horribly horribly wrong. And when Zechariah leaves the holy place and stands in front of them, gesturing and making signs on account of his inability to speak, the crowd, we are told, apparently is able to deduce the truth, that the holdup was caused by a vision. And when his week of service had come to a close, Zechariah returns home to Elizabeth, who in due course conceives, praising God for her blessing. The blessing is the child, but Zechariah's silence may also have been a gift. What are we to make of all of this? We see in this story God's delight, God's delight in using absolutely ordinary people to accomplish God's great purposes in salvation history. Ordinary, unremarkable people in the midst of the tumult of life who are seized by God and commandeered through their faithfulness to bring the kingdom of God just a little bit closer. Bypassing the halls of power, the establishment movers and shakers, the expected routes of fame and fortune, God chooses for himself humble saints Years of their life lost to time, never recorded, and yet not spent in vain because of just one moment, just one moment when they heard and responded to the word of God. And we also see in Gabriel's description of the work and ministry of the one who will come to be known as John the Baptist, that the arrival of the Lord requires preparation. The people have to be made ready. Israel, in, in the first instance, has to be made ready for the day of the Lord. And the same is true for us. We long for God to show up in powerful and mighty ways. We pray for Jesus to come again to reign. We desire the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. This is a true desire, an honest longing, but we may not be as ready, as prepared for God as we think. The Christian calendar, the liturgical calendar, has this wisdom built in 
as both of our biggest celebrations, Christmas and Easter, are preceded by a time of preparation. We need time, time to prepare. Here in Luke, that preparation is described as reconciliation. Fathers turning to sons and the disobedient turning to the wisdom of the righteous. That's reconciliation within our family and the family of Christ and reconciliation with God. Turn and return. Orient yourself, posture yourself towards God and not away from God. It's difficult to see the dawn if you are facing west. So turn and return. There's one more detail of this story that I wish to draw our attention to this morning. One facet, both compelling and mysterious. So I mentioned that Zechariah is participating in this, in this daily offering, uh, the twice daily burnt offering to be specific. It's the Olah offering. Israel made this offering twice a day, once in the morning and once in the evening, a marker of the beginning and the end of the day. And this offering required the whole animal to be burnt. Now the other animal sacrifices that Israel brought only required a part of the animal to be burnt. That which was left over was used as food for the priests, food for the family that brought the offering, or it could be sold by the temple as well. But this offering, the Olah offering, required the whole animal. And so it was the costliest of all the offerings. The altar on which the animal is offered, it sits out in the courtyard of the temple. So all all those who are gathered there for prayer or for worship can see that burnt offering. And importantly, they can see the smoke. There are many dimensions to sacrifice in the Old Testament and for the people of Israel, but the one that I want to focus on today is the smoke. The smoke is the animal. It's the same molecules and particles of that animal, but the animal has been transfigured, transformed, cleansed through the burning fire. And now that smoke goes up. And where does it go? To heaven, right? To the presence of God. So the logic here is this. I can't go up to stand in the presence of God because of my sin, because of my brokenness, for all these reasons. And you can't either. But we place our hands on this animal, which is without blemish, the best of its type. And this animal, through the sacrifice, through the burning, through the purifying fire, can ascend, which is what Olah means. It means go up. The animal can go up on our behalf to God. But this burnt offering out in the courtyard, it only happens twice a day, morning and evening. And so it's an occasional sacrifice. There's smoke, but then the fire goes out and there's no more smoke. But there's a second part to this same sacrifice, and that's the bit that Zechariah is doing. It's the incense. It's still part of the Olah offering, but it happens behind the curtain 
in the holy place. So Zechariah goes in to this holy place and maintains incense, which gives off smoke. Now this incense, unlike the burnt offering, is perpetual. The smoke goes up day in and day out throughout the course of the whole day and the whole night. So Zechariah, he's not really lighting the incense for the first time. It's already lit when he comes in and it will stay lit long after he goes home to Elizabeth. He's going in to maintain that incense, to keep it burning, to keep the smoke going up before God. So you've got the smoke that goes up and stops out in the courtyard, the burnt offering, and you've got the smoke inside the temple that goes up perpetually, forever, a continued intercession before the Lord God Most High. And during the one moment of his life that Zechariah plays his bit part in this tether between God and God's people, he is told of the coming of his son, John the Baptist. But what he doesn't know yet, and what we know because we've read the whole story, is that John the Baptist comes to minister to, to tend to, a new kind of perpetual offering to God. Zechariah's role in this very moment is replicated and subsumed, fulfilled by his son. Zechariah's incense, the perpetual extension of the Olah, the, the creature whose whole life is given up with nothing held back, given up for the people whose body is transformed so that it may go and be in the very presence of God, is to find its richest and fullest and final expression in the body of Jesus Christ. The body that John points us to. His whole body was set up on the altar. Jesus' blood was poured out. His very life was given with nothing held back so that he might be able to stand before the throne of God and not for his sake, but for ours. So that by adoption, we too may be so transformed, purified by the cleansing fire of God's love and made ready to live all our days in the presence of that same God to whom John will come to point the God that Zechariah served in all this in the days of King Herod of Judea. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on how to get connected, please visit our website at knoxprez.org. That is K-N-O-X-P-R-E-S dot org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or Spotify.